Welcome to Do It For The Gram and Enneagram podcast with your host, certified Enneagram coach, Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our community. I am so excited today. I have such an amazing person on this episode with me. Also, one thing that I'm doing with this series is I really want to elevate the voices of women in the Enneagram space because there are some amazing women doing amazing work in the Enneagram space. And I definitely want to elevate those voices and share them with the world because I learn a lot for sure. And they're just a lot that they understand and see from a different lenses that a lot of some books out there don't always give the perspective of. So I'm super excited to be here. Are you serious about growing and being liberated? Do you love to learn and grow in a safe community? Well, my Kaizen Community Enneagram program is perfect for you. I teach 12 weekly classes on Thursday night. I am only taking around 15 people. I would rattle off more details and all the benefits, but I'm pretty sure you would rather read them and get back to this episode. So simply go to kaizen-enneagram-community.com mn.co or check out the show notes or find the IG page bio with the link tree or go to kaizencareers.com to find out more information. Learn and grow in safe community with others who love the Enneagram. Sign up while spots are still available. Hope to see you there. Today's episode, we have someone extremely amazing, Reverend Nian Vong. Can you please introduce yourself? Did I say your name right? Oh, beautifully. Yeah. Thank you so much. How do I follow an introduction like that? Well, <laughs> just by being yourself. <laughs> it is amazing to be here. I'm really excited to have this conversation, being super open to whatever arises, you know, in the midst of our connection here. So yeah, a little bit about myself. I am, well, I don't know how far back you want me to go, <laughs> but I'm the founder of Evolving Enneagram. Yeah, I was born in Vietnam. You know, I could go all the way back there. <laughs> yes, all the way back. No, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. So founder of Evolving Enneagram. So we focus on transforming human ecosystems. It's just this dynamism about how we treat like human communities, if you will. So my focus is on contemplative, like inner work with the Enneagram. And I would say that the contemplative work is more core. The Enneagram is the map right? Like the framework for it. Yeah. So I work with three adjunct faculty and starting to collaborate with a lot more of like my colleagues out there as well in recent years. So that's super exciting. So we're growing, evolving, et cetera. Yeah. So that's just a little snapshot. That's awesome. I think something that's so amazing. So in this world that we entered COVID and everything got Zoomerized real fast, we've only known each other over Zoom until like a month ago. Right. I mean, we'd been on like a Zoom panel together and I've seen you in many different forms and venues speaking. And so it's so interesting to finally see you in person like a month ago at the regional conference. 
and like really experience your energy. You have an amazing magnetic energy. And I don't know how you do it, to be honest. You... <laughs> Your amount of energy and the magnetism that I think that springs from your energy is just amazing the way that you congregate with people, connect with people. I was just fascinated. I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. So I don't know how you do it. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> wow, that's amazing feedback. I had no idea. You know, I have to say that there is something that I believe happens on this inward journey where, I mean, recently I was talking to someone about the difference between motivation and inspiration. And the more I do this inner work, it does, it feels like a fount of energy from inside of me, like this wellspring of strength, groundedness, but it like bubbles over, right? And that's my inner experience. There's like an overflow of my energetic life unto the world. And so I love hearing your feedback about how it's received or perceived in the outer world. Yeah. I mean, I think that's in stark contrast, if you want to just jump right in, you know, I identify as a three for those who identify with the sexual, social, self-preservation, instinctual model, I would be a sexual three. And, uh, you know, identified as a three, most of my life, I realized I felt empty. It was the opposite of overflow. There was an emptiness that it was about, like, my interaction with you is a, like is about how you feed that emptiness to help me to try to fill it. And the opposite of like understanding that if I if I resource myself from the inside out, then there is actually this wellspring that's constant. Like there's a connection to this infinite love and this wisdom inside of me that is growing every day. So yeah, that's how I feel from the inside out. Mm, I love that. And you brought up a really good point. I don't know if we're going to go on it more, but you talk about the difference between inspiration and motivation. Oh my goodness. I, I don't 100% know the difference. I haven't broke it down to myself, but in my mind, I know that there's a difference because I feel like everybody can do both, but I feel like threes are very inspirational and they can motivate, but they're more inspirational than necessarily motivating. I don't know if that has something to do with maybe the way that they embody the, what they're doing or how they're trying to share and inspire someone compared to motivation maybe coming from, it's not always the embodiment of what they're trying to motivate a person, but it's still trying to build the person up. So I don't know, what's your view or take or what have you kind of gained from the difference? Oh yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I think when I was younger, when I was like really buying into like the self-help model, mm -hmm. like to me, the distinction I'd make, and this is just the way I define it, is like motivation to me feels more outside. It is like, almost like someone who pushes you along, right? You know, it's outer direct as I see a lot of nodding here, you know? Yes. Inspiration is like that inside out living. And I think you, you just spoke to it, which is that idea that if we model that which we would seek to inspire in others, that that beingness itself radiates in a way that lifts the space of the room. That's my experience working with people. I'm a unity minister, so I'm interspiritual. And so from that framework, that's kind of the foundation from which I lead. But at one point, I recognize the difference between that line, practice what you preach, right? Which is great, right? To practice what you preach, but it's actually for me, preach what I practice. Oh, yeah, that difference. So, yeah, it's like what 
am I practicing in my life? Like it has to come from that lived place, right? And when it does, I mean, probably my favorite feedback that I get fairly often now in the workshops and presentations that I do is this, you embody what you're teaching. And to me, that is like the biggest compliment, right? I'm not just telling them something I've read, but it's like, if I'm teaching love, I want it inside of me, you know, like in a way where I want that access. And if I'm like being self-critical, I'm not in that place. So it's about like opening that heart space within myself first to have space for others. Like it's actually interesting because at the very conference, we'll be got to meet in person, <laughs> you know? So my presentation was entitled Evolving Together. And the opening meditation that I led was first start practice noticing your breath. And in the noticing of your breath, you might notice how your breath literally, like physically, like it makes space inside of you. So like using your breath as that focal point, there's this invitation to consider like, what can you make space for inside of you? Yes. You know, how do we begin with that? And like, maybe some things are on the fringes, right? You come to a conference and like, maybe you just had like a fight with your spouse or, you know, a death in the family. There are things that we compartmentalize. It's like, well, can you bring it here? Can you bring it to the space of our togetherness? So start there. What can you make space for inside of you? And use your breath to help you. Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And then as you're breathing, what about making space for others in this room? And not even forcing yourself to make space for others, but just being interested in that question. Is there a space for others in this room? Right? And so just bringing awareness is like, are you willing to make space? What kind of space? Is it only head space? Are you kind of curious what they might have to teach, you know? Or is there heart space for others in this room? Like what kind of space can you make and how do you use your breath to help you? The third thing is, okay, so I'm making space for Milton here. <laughs> no, but like, but what, what if making space for you, suddenly I realize there's no space for me. So that third piece is coming back to see when I move out, do I neglect myself? Do I leave myself? So how do I breathe in a way where there's space for both of us and then all of us in the room? And so inviting that, I just happened to do the, my presentation at the conference at the very beginning. So I used that as a, hey, can we do this as we approach each other at the conference? Can we be aware of like, am I making space for myself here? Am I making space for otherness or why be here? Right. And then as I make space for otherness, is there still space for me? And I feel like that, all of that, but especially that third part to talk about is so important for type threes too, you know? Yeah. I feel like that's huge. Right. Because of the other referencing default that is a three. As soon as I'm out there, I will abandon what's in here, right? And so that whole cry that threes aren't authentic, it goes down to the, like that self-abandonment of I leave myself to be what I think you need from me. And in that, I don't actually show up in true sort of communion or connection with you. It's not a deliberate, like hiding, you know, and I think most threes would agree that like, it's not like an actual lying about like, this is not who I am. Right. It's not that default where if I'm not attentive, I leave myself to go into the territory of you-ness 
for what problems they might get of affirmation of your liking or your respecting or your admiration of me. But then inside, I've abandoned my heart. So there's an emptiness in there, right? A hollowness. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Absolutely love that. There's many questions I have along with that. But I'm going to ask another question because I definitely want to know. I really not judge people, but I measure people a lot of times based on their inner work. Really like seeing, you know, I guess the professionalism or like how well a person does their inner work. That's kind of how I can get a measure of like, okay, this person is serious about it when it comes to going deep, going in, doing the work consciously and consistently and constantly. So one thing I definitely see in you is like a lot of consistent inner work. And you just mentioned a lot of it, just noticing literally the breath and embodying what you say and what you do for your communities. So at this point where you are currently in life, what is some of the inner work things that you're really working on? Mm, Yeah. Well, I have a practice at the end of every day to check in with my feelings. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) So you know, because I can have a great sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. My work is going stellarly well, you know, as of late, there are many invitations and opportunities. And so my gauge isn't, did I do well? My gauge is, am I happy? Do I feel fulfilled? And there's this sense of like valuing my own joy in that. And if I'm not feeling that, I need to make different decisions tomorrow. I need to make different decisions in the long term about how I spend my life force. Am I doing it in a way that feeds me? And so that's one piece. The other piece is more and more I practice and lean into the capacity to really set my work aside, which I can imagine you as a fellow person who runs his own business, right? Right. Like it's a little bit easier maybe if you're in a salaried position for a job where you go home and you can let it go. But if you're an entrepreneur, like I am, like arguably, right, 24 hours, Yep. add that to the threeness and we've got working all the time, right? Or plotting work and planning work. And, and I really like have this practice of at the end of the day, what can I let go of? What can be done for today? Things that are unfinished. And, and so there's a practice of letting this go that for me is a practice of faith, that trust in the universe and trust that like, I don't need to commit violences into my being, which is like historically how I work in order to be happy. Right. So there's like a practice of faith in that, that lets every day be enough. Right. And so that I can really savor like walking in the park with my partner and our dog, you know, like and and really enjoying it and noticing the light through the trees and being playful and singing out loud. Well, <laughs> you know, not recording it like. <laughs> just yeah, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> I sing in the shower, though. I'm a beast. He's like, oh, yeah, that's good. Until I get out the shower. Then it's like close your ears. <laughs> so. So, but it is, I've noticed that as I've gotten older, like I really feel younger, like over these years of like this inner work, it's like a cultivation of a a spontaneity and this allowance for, I think the natural me that I'm discovering is actually quite playful, like, like stupid jokes, like puns. (laughs) I'm really actually when I'm most natural 
really childlike, you know, it's a really interesting because I'm a responsible leader, right? <laughs> I'm a little bit of a kid and I didn't know this. When I was younger, I was super serious. The space for that opening, it intentional opening. I want to add to that, you know, how the three goes to the nine and often when it goes unconsciously to the point nine, there's like work, 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 and then conk out. Right. right. And that's how Fridays used to be for me, just sleep basically Friday night. And my spiritual practice is about intentionally engaging that space of relaxation so that I'm fully present to it, right? Not knocked out like in it, like basically napping for like 10 hours straight, that kind of thing. So that's where I think that playfulness is, is like, have I retained enough of my inner resource to engage my playtime? Mm. Yeah. So that to me is part of the testament of the the practice of trusting in the unfoldment of life, yep. that I'm not that separate doer, which is the delusion, according to Almas's work, of the three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are just a few of the tidbits. You know, I also practice twice a day, 20-minute sits, a centering prayer meditation that's foundational to my practice. I practice welcoming prayer as a practice of embracing whatever I'm feeling in any given moment, allowing it to be what it is and not pushing it away. And so there's a lot of space in my life for honoring my heart. That's an active piece of my personal practice. Yeah. It's me again in another one of those funny commercials to remind you that the Kaizen Community Enneagram program is having open sessions. I do two cohorts a year. One starts in January, one starts in August. In this program, you will feel heard, seen, and connected. You will leave the program with way more knowledge, a deeper level of growth, and some lifelong friends. To sign up and learn more, go to kaizen-enneagram-community.mn.co or see the show notes or the Instagram bio link tree. All right, back to the episode. We're not going to do in this episode, but I do want to talk about centering prayer later because I do it as well. So that's super interesting to me. And it's been super helpful in a lot of different ways. One thing I love that you talked about is just your ability at the end of the day. And I think this is important for everyone, and especially threes, to have a way to measure, you know, how your day went. And not something that is accordance to what your type structure (laughs) says your day should go, but something that, like you said, that it really challenges your type structure. Because as a three, to check in, what was the question? How did you feel? Yes. Yeah. My feeling. Yeah. Do I feel like I really, it's almost like I can tell now, like it's almost like recognizing threeness helped me to really see the inner emptiness. So it's almost like I have a gauge now when I'm empty versus full. Ooh. Mm. Oh my goodness, I'm loving that. So this next one I sent to people who are on here, like, did you want to talk about a topic or did I just bring up something? And you put something so interesting and I'm going to give you kudos for it after you speak on it. But I want to hear, you talked about moving from type one to type three. Can you share like this experience and like, how has it been for you? Oh gosh. Okay, absolutely. Yes, it's been... Deeply humbling, uh, but also invigorating and inspiring as well. So I've been studying the Enneagram since 2002 and teaching it since uh, about 2007. Right. And so that's a long time to be identified as a one, (laughs) 
basically, but as a sexual one. I've been on podcasts, like I've been on the ship network, <laughs> exploring and chatting about my insights as a type one. It was only Milton. It was only really like last year, like late last year that I recognize the threeness. I want to say that when I first took the Enneagram ready test years ago, it's not like threeness is a huge surprise. It's always been a living question for me. But I identified as a sexual one because I felt all the things about the severe inner critic. I tended to have a negative self-concept most of my life. Most people in my life even agreed that I was a type one. My intimate partners, like I would check with them. I was like, are you sure you don't think I'm like a three? And they're like, you're partly admittedly because I was so freaking critical of them. Gotcha. I mean, those are also, you know, more granted some of the behavioral pieces. I also think that the three, just like the eight in the historical literature has been over stereotyped in its description, right? Yeah. And, you know, for whatever shadows the three and the eight has like in our culture, et cetera. But, and especially it's like very white male, like the descriptions are very white male, right? And for those who can't see me or you might see my picture, I am an Asian female. So there was something about how I didn't identify with some classic ways of being, quote, ambitious in the world. I wanted to, and I continue to want to do good. So those were things that I had to really sort of clarify. What I love about, we're going to go back to Centering Prayer here. You know, what I love about it is the path of Centering Prayer for me is a path of dying daily to who I think I am. You go into the silence, you're like, okay, this is what my ego thinks is important. And every time I'm willing to release that, let it go, empty, that gesture of self-emptying, sort of like truth reveals itself. And so that practice, I think, is what supported me over time at moving toward greater authenticity. It so happens to be core to the path of the three, you know, but what happened was it was the strangest thing because about two years ago, I started to feel this movement around that inner critic, which all my life was scathing. I mean, was so harsh as alone with myself. I couldn't even be alone with myself because I would be so hard on myself. I would just beat myself up. That's what the end of each day used to be, a beating myself up moment. All my life was spent like that. And about two years ago, it started to lift this inner critic. And I'm like, wow, Nian, you know, you're not that evolved. (laughs) Suddenly (laughs) something core to your like type one structure, like physically, like it felt like a physical lift. It was just not there. It was like phenomenal. And I was like, what is this? And that started me questioning my type even more. So I already had the threeness sort of like on the sidelines waiting, you know, for consideration and it never left the weight room, right? You know, so it was really Almas's recent book, Keys to the Enneagram, that took me over the edge because in it, he talks about the three being a role model for people. And I'm like, I can identify with that. And I used to think of it as the one's idealism. That's how I conceptualized. But when I was young, I was like, I just want to be the perfect human. Like that's, I had that thought. And so I equated it with oneness because it was also very tied up with being good and not being ambitious. That was the other key. And in something in my family culture mixed in with oneness in my family of origin. I was wondering about that. Yeah. Right. Led me to make ambition, especially in the Western way. Yes. So forbidden. 
that I have to admit, as much as like I like to think I'm so self-aware, it really wasn't until this last year of my life that I was willing to admit that I'm ambitious. I mean, I'm sure other people could see it, obviously, right? I'm like, Nian, you were a valedictorian in high school. You went to Stanford Law School. I'm like, what? you're like kind of an idiot if you can't tell this. <laughs> you know? like, I mean, I just like look, I mean, just look back and it's like, I'm like, duh. <laughs> right. But I couldn't see it I, because I didn't have permission to see it without compassion. So I didn't see it. Yeah. Yes. And that's what I was wondering too. Like our family of origins, our cultures impact us. The Western America and especially Western culture is so individualistic and guilt innocent society where it's not under shame and collective as most of the world is outside of the West. And so that's something that I'm like working on doing an episode about and some different things on of like how types show up differently in different cultures, especially ones that are more collective, that are more honor shame instead of just guilt, innocence, all about me. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad you said that. Did not know this was going to come up, but that's something my mind has been rolling around for a while since we've been in Europe uh, and back. And I want to honor you in the fact that I think this is one of the things that is so beautiful about knowing when someone's done their inner work, because I've had this question to myself. I said, am I humble enough if I was doing this work and, you know, people know my name and all this stuff? If I was like, I got to a point, I was like, oh, I'm not a seven. (laughs) Would I be able to say, oh, I'm no longer a seven. Like I thought I was, but I've done some work and some things happened and it shifted. And so for you to have done that, I mean, says a ton about your inner work. And because you are a three, it says even more about your inner work, which is so important, even for listeners. I think this is huge because it's interesting. We find Enneagram to become more self-aware because we're supposed to help to find a journey so that we can grow and really connect back to the essence, back to the universe, back to God. And so the thing is, on that path, though, it's like we get stuck and get so identified with the number that we forget it's about not over-identifying and it not being our identity. I think that scares a lot of people, especially like you said, you and I both have communities and our pride can kick in and then be like, well, I don't know if I can tell people if my number changed because then that'll make me look like whatever, you know. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, how about that? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I want to give you kudos and honor you because that's huge. Like, that's so important. And I like, I have so much respect for you for that. Let me say you that. Like, I really do because that's impressive. Absolutely incredible. And I do want to talk about like something you do absolutely incredibly and something I can learn from is that you build communities and you have been building communities for a moment. Can you share a little bit about your work and how you work with communities in the evolving Enneagram? Mm, Yeah. Well, it strikes me that I think that what is ours to do in the world when it's authentic generally relates to something maybe that we really needed in our lives. And looking back now on the need to be seen and the need to belong. So, you know, having grown up in a family where neither of those were true for me. And if anything, like I felt shame around any need to be acknowledged or seen in any way. Right. So there's something about that piece. And then, you know, I won't go into detail about the story, but, you know, I was born in Vietnam fled here with my family as a toddler, as an infant, essentially, and grew up as basically, we were like the only Asian family in a very white Southern California town. So imagine, like, I didn't fit in with my family. I didn't fit in in my city. 
I thought something was fundamentally wrong with me, like most of my life. Like there was something like not understanding my own, like belonging to the world. And so I think a lot of like the desire to build community was inspired by this building a place where everyone belongs, no matter what. Like, and, and if I don't feel personally inclusive to you, that's my work as the leader to find what parts of me are shadowed, what parts of me judge that aspect of our shared humanity. So the community work feeds into my inner work because if I'm judging you, I don't see it as, okay, you're a problem, you don't belong in our groups. It's like, what of our shared humanity have I not yet learned to love? So that's the foundation from which I gather community. Honestly, I feel like I just happened upon it. So I was a church minister for a couple of years and it was interesting because as soon as I arrived at church, I'm like, oh my God, why am I here? Like, I don't want this. I knew I felt called to it, but I was like Sunday service. I'm like, you guys are complaining more about the music than you're interested in transformation, right? And I was like, why am I here? You know, it was it was horrifying. And, and yet being there, like, and realizing, okay, I was called to this. So what is here for me? It's almost like evolving Enneagram's work was carved around this limited space of being in a church community, right? So, so interestingly enough, it became my strength later, right? It's like, whoa, I built a community because I had to. Like, so what happened was I'm like, if we already don't have an existing community of people interested in deep transformation, I must build it. Mm. So I started teaching the Enneagram. Then I abandoned Sunday morning traditional service and created my own interspiritual evening service where I started like doing Enneagram sermons, essentially. And then I reached a point where it was very clear that what I wanted to bring forth it was the point at which being in the church would actually limit the expression of the work. And so that's where, and this is where I do what, you know, like feel very courageous because up until I founded Evolving Enneagram, I had always worked for someone else. I'd never, never thought of myself as someone who could ever be on her own. And so it wasn't that long ago. Right. It was right before COVID of all things, right? 2019 or 20, you know, like I took that leap and stepped out and founded Evolving Enneagram. The community had already begun to form. And then as you said, COVID actually became a gift for this particular work in that it brought people from around the world into my group. With my degree of perfectionism, I would have never taught a class online. Like it would have taken years before I could like perfect a class enough to put, but COVID forced that. And that's what sort of catapulted my work out into the global like world, global forum, if you will. So that's, I mean, that's some of the structure and some of the value system behind it, but it is really a place where I think it just so happened because I realized when you hold spaces like this, where within some of my contemplative practices and the Enneagram groups, where we do 20 minutes of centering prayer together each week, we gather for two hours. I have a lot of group sharing guidelines for people, no crosstalk, right. no unsolicited feedback. There are ways to create safety for transformation within these communities that people had not experienced in their lives. Some people had never talked about their stuff without someone freaking interrupting them with some good advice, supposedly good advice, right? Yeah. Air quotes, air quotes. <laughs> yeah. 
But but one of my, you know, what's become a famous line in CBE that I came up with one day is like, if you let people talk, they will ramble their way into wisdom. But if I have to be so smart and jump in and offer my sage advice, like they don't get there. But in these groups, they get space to like become empowered in that way, right? They find their own strength and they find their own space and they find their own voice. And for some people, they get presenced in their emotions, perhaps for the first time in their lives, you know? So in these groups, I mean, people have shared about having a miscarriage, you know, but for like the first time in their life, like they'd never shared with anyone outside the group, suicide in the family or attempted suicide. So like the topics that come up are very real. They're not just these woo woo spiritual, like we all gather together. We all love each other. You know, it's about, again, bringing our humanity to be held in that love. So that's the core of the group as I've been leading them. And in recent in like the last year or so, I've been bringing that more and more to professional organizations and companies, et cetera. And that's like super exciting because I'm, it's like infiltrating existing communities where I can infuse them with this Enneagram literacy and this way of being together, you know, realizing that I of my own time and strength cannot physically seed that many communities. I need to <laughs> infiltrate the existing ones. That's beginning to happen as well. So right. long-winded answer, <laughs> but, but yeah. yeah. No, but I, I love the answer though. I mean, once again, there's so many pieces that I could expand upon that I think you do a phenomenal job and how important it is just for those listening, especially if you're socially repressed. If you haven't been a part of a safe community that allows you to be able to share what's really going on inside and feel like you are included and you belong, I highly recommend you find one. Evolve and Enneagram is one. There's a few others out there, definitely, but I highly recommend it. It is so healing, so freeing that I, I cannot, I came from a retreat from some teachers last week in California, and there's something so spectacular about being able to be in a group and to feel seen, to feel heard, belong, and included, you know, with everything you bring, you know, despite all the fears or whatever that we have. And so I think what you bring to the world is so incredibly important and needed. And then something else that's super important you mentioned, which I think is important because, well, there are some groups of people who love groups of people, right? There's some groups who are like, they don't trust groups of people. These are all different part of our Enneagram personality structure. We all have to work on different parts. But for the people who love groups and love to be a part of different groups, one thing you mentioned, Nian, was that having guidelines for how sharing, how speaking, how being within the group works is so important because our egos can act a fool when we get in a group if we don't realize that, hey, we have to make sure, like you said, the very beginning of this episode, how can I make sure I breathe so I can create space for other people and create space for me, right? Like, how can I make sure I do all these things so they feel like they belong, but also know that I belong in this space too? So super powerful. That's just a few things I picked up from what you were saying that I am like... I don't know. I love, absolutely love that you said it just in answering that. That's one thing. And so before we wrap this episode up, since we may have to do a part two, because I have some really good questions and you're just, you're going in. This is so good. I would say one of the questions is for a person on the 
I would say the Enneagram 3 or Type 3 journey in a work, if they were looking for advice on the journey and from where you are now, what is something you would like to share that could maybe help them along? Oh, wow. Wow. This is his own like podcast (laughs) (laughs) episode. Oh, man. What is like one thing that I could share? Yep. I think it's the trust. It's the leaning into the trust that who you are authentically is actually more than enough, you know, is intrinsically valuable. And the more you're willing to release the temptation to contort, to curate, like those are the moments you don't have to become your real self. You just need to release the temptation to curate like who you are in a moment to, to trust that that which emerges organically is intrinsically valuable. Beautiful, beautiful. Ooh, love that. I love that. Another question, and this is just a random question just popped in my head. Being from Vietnam and of Asian descent, what is something that maybe the Enneagram world needs to know more about the Enneagram and maybe where you're from and the culture? Or what is something that people maybe need to become more aware of when they're actually doing Enneagram work or working around people or they have people they know of Asian descent or anything? Like what is something, because I want to get this perspective as well and just hear what you have, if, if there's anything. Yeah, well, I think what you said earlier is so key. With respect to looking at these background cultures and cultures that are more group oriented in their identification, I would actually invite like the whole Enneagram world. I mean, you know, I think it was a recent IA conference where we all had a lot of fun deciding like which countries were which numbers. I'm really interested in what the instinctual stacking or sequence of each country's are. And I actually think that may play a more vital part. Like when I'm thinking about families where like we're focused on self-preservation instinct, you know, like like that piece. Cause I wonder if it's more about that, even within my family of origin, this notion of like almost like sexual repressed, you know, like transmit that like social identity and not breaking like the norm in that and like how that can impact. So I'm really interested in that piece when it relates to my specific Vietnamese upbringing, you know, so there's that one piece that I want to throw in. And I want to say that it's a tricky thing, right? Because you and I have been on, you know, we get invited to diversity panels. Yep. What I loved about what Jessica did did last year in the Shift Network was actually like, how about we do just normal everyday things with y'all? <laughs> like, right? So there's a piece of that where, but within that, then you might bring in compassionate curiosity to the table, I think is important because it isn't like, uh, who am I to speak on behalf of all freaking Asians, right? But like, if you're curious about me, then it's inevitably going to come out how some of this upbringing and perspective impacts how I show up with you, right? Like for instance, something as simple as like, I have tended to dress up more historically. I'm, I'm trying to dress down so people feel a little more comfortable around me. But like, I think culturally, it was a way I honor the space. It's almost like, you know, you don't speak to adults by their first names. Like, like, like that's a weird new thing that like white Americans <laughs> like did. Like, True. 
True. We have a different relationship to our elders and to our teachers. So there was some morphing around that, that I realized, oh, I'm not as approachable because I'm a little more formal. But I grew up with the belief that like this formality is how you show respect and not recognizing that it could cause people to feel I feel superior, actually, you know, like when I first started doing ministry, they were like, yeah, stop looking so put together, perfect, lawyerly, you know, I'm like, oh, that was my way of respecting the space. Like I didn't. Right. And so there's something about like you respect the space in these ways. Yeah. I want to add to something you said, you said compassionately curious, compassion, curiosity, both, but something that's very important. I know you traveled after the conference. I traveled, we traveled different places. I went to Greece and there was a guy, he was a formerly, he was a refugee. He was Iranian and he was a refugee at first. And eventually he actually it did a whole lot of different things and actually became a, a minister there. His story is amazing. It's like you're talking to a prophet or something. I'm talking about like, you know, somebody who's supposed to die like four times and didn't die because they connected to higher powers. He one of them. But one thing, he was compassionately asking me a question. He said, and this is because he cares. You know when a person cares based on how they ask the question because you can feel the difference. And I think that compassionate curiosity we were talking about going to the beach, right? He was talking about like there's a sun thing and his skin will get a little burnt because he has some specific or whatever. And he had to put olive oil on or something because regular suntan lotion stuff won't work. But it probably wouldn't make for his skin either. But that's another story. I mean, he looked at me. He was like, so in the sun, do you burn quicker? And I was like, actually, I don't. I, I do the opposite. I burn much slower because of the melanin in my skin. But it was such like, a, uh, I, I felt it from his heart. He was genuinely, compassionately curious about, hey, there are some differences here, right? Like, and so it was a beautiful way to connect with a person. And I think when our hearts are open, then we actually can be compassionately curious about other people and have like connecting conversations and like wonderful curiosity questions. Oh, so beautiful. I love that. I have one more thing to say. Did I say? <laughs> yes, throw it in, throw it in. Okay, okay this has reminded me of some, when you commented earlier about the group guidelines, uh, there was something that came up for me around it. I implemented those guidelines. Initially, it was for the person speaking. Right. So it was about how we listen to that person. But over time, I realized, oh, this guideline around no crosstalk and no unsolicited feedback, it's actually helping the people listening. Yes. People would leave the groups with a greater capacity to hold space for what is at first otherness. But when we don't intrude on that and also hold space for what's happening inside themselves, like twos, if you can't give freaking helpful feedback to the person and you're not focused on that, you, you're stuck focusing on yourself, right? And so you get to know your inner world. And so when your inner world arises in your listening, people can feel you there with them in a way that's different from you're the subject, they're the object of your inquiry, right? Like there's something more relational that you're already coming forward with. I know someone who identifies as an eight, which historically she's like, you know, when people are telling me to be more receptive and listening, like I really didn't understand what that meant. But she's like, after just sitting in your groups for weeks, I started to realize it, this felt experience of like what it's like just from the practice of listening without advising, right? And what it did to me. So that transformational aspect then infuses, well, a couple of things. It impacts my capacity to hold space for what is in myself. And as I have greater 
capacity to be compassionately curious about what's inside of me, then you can bet that I'm going to be able to do that in my connection space with you, right? And so that's how, like, to me, like birthing this world in which this realness or this soul meets soul kind of aspect, because I'm in contact with my own truth, my own soul, you know, and then, and then I'm not too eager to jump out, right, from that space toward you with so much of my help, right? That ends my wise words. (laughs) (laughs) So... As we're wrapping it up, where can people find you in, in the Evolving Enneagram? Where can people find you? I think the best way is just like the website, evolvingenneagram.com. I'm hugely on Facebook as well with a spattering of like Instagram. I'm not as good about Instagram, but like Facebook, Evolving Enneagram is where you can find me. And uh, not just me, but our community as we continue to grow in the spaces that we occupy in our world, bringing love to the greater world. So, Oh, that's so amazing. Uh, I want to thank you so much, Reverend Nian, for being on here. This was absolutely great. Everything you're saying just has this amazing, deep felt touch to it. I feel the words that you say Mm. because I know you're connected to them. And so I think you do justice and honor to the words you mentioned early in the episode about embodying your words and also preaching what you practice. I think you did a beautiful job of that. And I felt that through this episode. So thank you so much for that. So thank you to all the listeners. Remember, if your ego is tripping and is acting a fool, take a deep breath and do it for the gram, the Enneagram course, and make a better choice. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Have a good day. Bye.